Attention MongoDB enthusiasts. We've got some exciting news for you. On June 22, 2023, MongoDB is bringing its world-renowned .local conference to New York City. This is an event you won't want to miss. At MongoDB.local New York City, you'll have the opportunity to learn about the latest updates and tools to build and deploy mission-critical applications at scale. Whether you're a seasoned developer or just getting started with MongoDB, there's something for everyone at this action-packed event. Get ready to experience an announcement-filled keynote. Dive into technical sessions on application development, data modeling, security, and much more. Plus, you'll have the chance to network with like-minded professionals and MongoDB experts. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to boost your MongoDB knowledge and skills. Save the date, June 22, 2023, in the heart of the Big Apple, New York City. For more information and to secure your spot, head on over to mdb.link 2023 or check out the show notes of this episode. Be sure to use the code PODCAST50 for a 50% discount on your tickets. See you there. Hi, everybody. This is Jim McClarty from Keller Williams. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. When I joined the company, we were just launching our mobile website and uh, the mobile app. And so the number of users that we have through, through the website and through the mobile app have just gone up dramatically, as you would expect when you first launch something. And so being able to scale, I mean, it wasn't even an issue with, with Mongo, partly because of the you know, the way that Atlas lets you go ahead and set up your scaling rules. You can say, well, I'm going to set it at an M20 for today, but, you know, go ahead and scale up to an M80 or something so that we can, you know, be ready for the future or whatever. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we're talking with Jim McClarty. He's a software architect at Keller Williams. They are the world's largest real estate technology franchise with amazing sales volume and an amazing number of agents supported by their platform. Jim shares details of the stack that they're using, their application, and how they're leveraging MongoDB and MongoDB Atlas. It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Stay tuned. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Well, Jim, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Great to be here. So, Jim, would you tell the audience who you are and what you do for Keller Williams? Sure. I'm the architect for the consumer team. We handle all of the kellerwilliams.com searches that you might do. Um, we also handle various agent sites. Each Keller Williams agent, if we have we have 182,000 of them, can have their own personalized uh, website. And then they, we serve up that data so that they can have all the listings in the whole world uh, surfaced for them as well, for any of their customers. So obviously in the real estate space. That's right. Yeah. That's great. So Jim, let's learn a little bit more about your background. Did you have any previous experience with MongoDB? Yeah, actually coming to Keller Williams was in some ways influenced by the fact that we were starting to use MongoDB already. Uh, I had four years of experience uh, using MongoDB with a startup that I was a part of here in Austin. And uh, then 
went away to corporate America for a, a little over a year and really wanted to get back to it. So when I looked for a next transition, uh, MongoDB was one of those things I was interested in. That's great. So, and how did you become an architect? Our previous architect left and they thought I was the right person to, to step into this role. Keller Williams is really great about that, actually. They, they give lots of opportunities to people who are within the company. Uh, they're really great at training. They're known throughout the real estate industry for being terrific at training. But we also try to carry that forward for our development team and everybody else who's, you know, customer service, people who they came in here, but we want to get you up to that next level of whatever that is. And so there's just so many people throughout the management, I guess, hierarchy who came in as one thing and have gone up through the ranks, including our president, who was a realtor and is now on up through the chain. That's great. And so what you're doing now, are you still actually writing code? I, I do. I get to write some code. I write more, more stories than code. Um, what I like to do is, is help to unblock people. And so if there are uh, issues that they want to talk about or step through or whatever, then, then I can do that. Sometimes the blocker is we need this thing written. And so I'll get to be a part of that, uh, you know, a, devel- a, a deployment of a hotfix. I do more hotfixes than, uh, than normal uh, feature releases. What's your favorite programming language? I have a soft spot in my heart for Perl. And uh, I know a lot of people hate it. And I don't use it every day, but uh, it, it, I enjoy it. I like some of the things that you can do with it. It's pretty, pretty powerful, but can be a, a complete disaster. So, but, but well, JavaScript I, is great in a similar way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, I'm a, I'm a Perl hacker from way back. And, you know, even to this day, I think I, I think I think I solve problems in Perl and then have to translate them to either Java, JavaScript or or PHP or whatever programming language I'm working in. So it's great to hear that somebody's still still Perl hacking. That's great. If I could double click into that, the Keller Williams application, what is it written in? What's the stack look like? Yeah, we uh, we run on Node.js. And so we're, we're Node React all the way. Uh, we have our microservices are, are all written in JavaScript. We do have some, some Python for some translation stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just that that mean stack is, is where we like to be. Uh, I mean, I guess we aren't using Express as much as, as we would like, though we've recently transitioned into doing that as opposed to just rendering, serving up React bundles. Have you considered leveraging something like the MongoDB Realm backend and in place of Express? Yeah, we, we've talked about it some. I think that there's there's use in there, uh, but, but a lot of business rules that would need to be translated. And we have fully functional applications right now that we would need to do a cost-benefit analysis of that translation. But when it comes to new features, and, and especially some of the things that Realm does with uh, mobile sync, uh, that would maybe warrant its own exploration. So maybe have, have a, a sub-service that would uh, get the details that we need that would be really cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I looked at having Realm replace our GraphQL. Um, but because of some of the, the business rules that we've baked in, uh, we weren't ready yet. And it may be that Realm is ready, but it may be that we're just not quite yet. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So talk a little bit about the, the, the scale of the Keller Williams application. You mentioned some numbers in your introduction, but um, how many users are, are in there and, and what's the data look like? Well, our data is really interesting because it comes from the the MLSs, you know, the, shoot, I think it's like 
something listing service. I, I can't remember what the multiple, M stands multiple for. Multiple listing service, I multiple think. Multiple listing yeah. service. Man, you're better than me. Uh, yeah, I worked so in that space for a bit. <laughs> that's right. So the there's so many multiple listing services throughout the country. And we have a team here that that will uh, subscribe and work with those team, those listing services and then try to aggregate the data into something that we can we can use better. And so where my team gets to pick it up is once it's already been cleaned and ready, uh, then it gets put into our our service. And uh, then we would do the, the filters and the searches and things like that that a consumer would expect to uh, be able to find the home they want, whether they're in Los Angeles or New York or, you know, Kansas or something. Mm. Um, so so being able to to surface all the listings is really important. Uh, but, but our primary goal is to try to help the help the user find the right realtor that can give them that extra extra plus, you know, the, the benefit. And so, you know, Keller Williams, it's 182,000 realtors. And we have a platform that works basically like a, a CRM for them that allows them to um, make sure that they're staying on top of what their customers' needs are, how they can best serve them, uh, maybe alert them to things like, oh, well, I see you're, you're looking in this area. Did, if you're interested in that, you may also be interested in this over here. And so being able to surface what, what our customers are looking at is it, it's, a, it's a two-way conversation uh, with the real estate platform, which we call Command. I'm on the consumer team, but there's another team that handles all the things for, for realtors. Um, so as far as daily users on our site, I'm not, I don't actually pay attention to that. And, and, uh, you know, I'm sure if I did, I wouldn't be allowed to tell you or something, but, but, uh, <laughs> but we do have, we do have all the listings, uh, for, uh, nationwide. And so depending on, on what time of year it is, we're going to have some number of millions. Yeah. And, and that's us only, right? Well, uh, Keller Williams started actually in Austin, where I am, and uh, expanded throughout the U.S. We have we have all throughout the world. Actually, we have agents, and so what we're working on is is helping that worldwide presence to be a lot more felt. And so, it's, I mean, we have Canada and Mexico. There are a few other, you know, the MLSs feed from from U.S. and Mexico, but we have people from all over the world. And it is on the near horizon that you'd be able to search for a property in Italy uh, mm. on the KW website. Well, fantastic. And so that brings up the question of scale then. And I'm curious about the transition to MongoDB Atlas and, and how the application has scaled over time. Have you experienced um, massive shifts in the amount of users or data? Yes, yes, we have. When I joined the company, we were just launching our mobile website and uh, the mobile app right after I joined. And so the number of users that we have through through the website and through the mobile app have just gone up dramatically, as you would expect when you first launch something. And so being able to scale, I mean, it wasn't even an issue with with Mongo, partly because of the you know, the way that Atlas lets you go ahead and set up your scaling rules. You can say, well, I'm going to set it at a, an M20 for today, but, you know, go ahead and scale up to an M80 or something so that we can, you know, be ready for the future or whatever. So so that hasn't really been a problem. Um, you know, our, we use Kubernetes for, for our services, so we're able to scale up pods. So, you know, there are things that we need to take into consideration as we grow, um, but we try to make good architectural decisions. And, and a lot of those were made by, by architects before me, but, uh, but trying to carry those through. 
That's great. So when do you remember when Keller Williams began to use Atlas about the time frame? Well, that was before I joined. So I can't say for sure. I, I could probably look back in our history and, and figure it out. But I would I would think it would be 2019, um, early 2019, probably. So are you familiar with the, the reasons that MongoDB Atlas was chosen? Yeah, I think it had to do with did we want to manage our own our own Mongo instance, or did we want to let somebody else manage it? And, and, you know, a lot of the things, all the choices we seem to make are, are based around let's outsource that, you know, we'll have developers do the development work, but we'll let people who are experts in managing clusters and machines and networks do those things. And we do have those people on our comp in our company, but it, it lets us focus on the development that we need to be doing. You know, it's about flexibility, but it's also about giving the developers the freedom to focus on what they're good at and democratizing access to the infrastructure without the the burden of of management being forced on, on folks that have other things to do. So, yeah, I totally get that. So before working with Atlas, did you uh, have any previous experience with uh, MongoDB on-premise? Yeah, the company that I worked with before, uh, we did have Mongo running uh, locally on our machines, and then we had it... Uh, we, we had some servers running. Eventually, we moved to MLab, and I think we looked at Object Rocket. There have been a, a number of you know people who were happy to to serve up Mongo instances. But uh, but one of the things that I mean, I, I like that that level of console access that we have with with Mongo. That's that was important to me. That was one of the first things I asked when I came to Keller Williams. Was well, so how do I get good console access? Um, but Atlas Atlas does allow that. That is that is an option. But for a lot of people, working with Atlas is really all they need. Um, I have a developer actually today who asked me for access, and they've been with us almost a year now. And they are not to, to Atlas, but to console. They asked for console level access, and they haven't needed it for a whole year that they've been working in Atlas. So I mean, they're able to view information, find the records they need, do aggregations. It's 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 really great, and that's a developer then a senior developer even but then there's there's even you know the QA team being able to update things as they need to it it just provides a lot of ease of use that that maybe made mongo a little more daunting when you look at just some json object that you have to write up for every query and projection and all that stuff um what are some of the challenges that you faced or experienced today with with mongodb atlas yeah so some of the problems it's a different way of, of interacting. Sometimes there's limits just because of, you know, there, we'll limit it to 20 results or something like that. And I say, no, I want, I want all the results, please. I'm trying to get this data, you know? So there's, I think there's some safety boundaries that are in there that, that in some time, sometimes feel like they get in the way. Um, but I understand why they're there. It can be, uh, it can be harder. I would like to be able to write scripts that would update things. And sometimes Atlas has a way of doing something, maybe, uh, managing some some database access permissions or something there isn't a parallel way of of doing a script that would just run it for me so i have to remember okay well i'm just gonna go i click here and i click here and i go there and i do this and so it works and it's useful and it's friendly but if i'm trying to script some access that that feels like a, a limitation having spent a long time in the unix world I, I sometimes wish that there was just some curl command I could do that would take care of these few things that that I want to do on a regular basis. I, yeah, I, I get that. And um, I'm a Unix hacker from way back, so I, I, I get it. 
And I think one of the things that's been really great is diving into the API. So there's an API that's made available now, and you can access a lot of the things that you you do, you know, from a UI perspective, you can access those very same things from the API. That's one thing. And, and the other thing that's really exciting is we now have a Terraform provider. So you can actually, you know, develop infrastructure as code using configuration. So that might be something to look at, you know, in your in your future implementations. Yeah, thanks for that. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll look into it. I hadn't looked into your API at all. Yeah, one of the other things that I think people have when they when they come to Mongo, and most of the people who are pushing back against Mongo who work with us are are people who have a lot of SQL experience, you know, and so they're they're just used to the relational data database model, and so trying to think about Mongo in that way is it's wrong, and it just isn't going to work as well, and so that's really the biggest pushback I get when we're working with Mongo, people say, oh, I hate this or that or whatever. And, and if you're able to just kind of change your mind and think about, well, this is a different tool. It does a different purpose, right? And so let's use it in the way that it was intended to be used. And, and then it's really useful. And, and I have a lot of people who are, are coming around in that, in that sense. But, you know, I will see occasionally some, some collections that have ID relationships. And so they're trying to do joins based on these ID relationships or something. And, and even it's hard to know when is it the right time to embed some information versus have a whole another collection. Uh, you know, it's, it's a case by case basis, right? And so there's some learning curve there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're coming from, from the relational world, from the tabular world, that whole concept of developing a document schema and the right approach can be tricky for sure. So throughout your time working with Atlas, what are some of the things that you have loved about the platform? You know, last year during the Mongo Live conference, I, I saw them talking about charts and I thought, well, that looks really interesting. I would really like to, to find out more about that. And so I got into the documentation, which I will say, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it before. The documentation with Mongo is also really great. I can always find what I need with the Mongo documentation. You know, typically I would have gone to Stack Overflow, but I find MongoDocs, I actually end up there first and then, you know, maybe fall into Stack Overflow or something. But the charts are great. I've been able to really um, give the product managers information that they're always asking for, uh, but without having to have me be the one who's working on it all the time. You know, I create a chart, they can go and self-serve those future needs uh, going forward. So that's really been a game changer for me and also just helping people to be able to visualize uh, what is happening in the data. Uh, so there's, you know, the number of, of users that we have who are signing up for new accounts, the number of users and how they're associated to agents and how many, uh, how many, uh, I guess, scheduled listing viewings uh, we would have. I'm trying to think of the right way to say it, but a person who wants to go and see a home, you know, being able to model that and see, well, what happened when, when the pandemic hit? You know, how did that change? How did that go down? And then what were some steps that we took to handle that? And if we take those numbers and put them back in with virtual open houses and things like that, then how, how much does that increase our reach or even, you know, surpass where we were before? So that's been really cool to be able to see those kinds of pieces of data. Yeah, so charts has been really neat. Uh, you know, another thing that's really helpful is the ability for for Mongo to point out things that need to be done. So if it says this is a, a long running query, a slow query, uh, it would be helped with an index. You know, we would get these alerts that would say, 
hey, you should add an index here. And we would, you know, of course, go look at it and be like, well, should we? Yeah, maybe. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Sometimes it's the word we have somebody doing a bad query and sometimes we need a, an index. But having something that's going to use some intelligence to figure that out is it's, it's a great feature, especially for people who are uh, getting their feet under them, I think. Uh, you know, another feature is the aggregation pipeline that, that we have in Mongo. It's also built into the Compass app. Uh, that's really beneficial. Before, when I was using Mongo, I wrote a lot of find queries. And then as I got more advanced, I would start to use aggregation. And I was like, wow, this is a great feature. It's kind of complicated, but I can do this, you know. And now I would point people at that aggregation builder right off the bat and say, well, yeah, I mean, you could find if you know the ID you're looking for. But otherwise, go over here. Don't don't even mess with find. Just use use the aggregation. And so the way that you're able to drag the steps around and see the intermediate results, it's just, it's really great. Uh, I, I like that feature a lot. And then recently, you know, just in January or December, I, I was introduced to some of the benefits that we have of, of the Realm work. Um, you know, Realm has the triggers that we can have, you know, do things you know, like a cron job, but you can also have it event-based. And then you can have it processing functions and, and even writing out data in as a as a result of that aggregation that you've already worked with so you know you have this aggregation that gets the data into just the shape that your application needs and so now what do we do with that well you can build it out into a view and turn it into something that is materialized and can have indexes built off of it or whatever and so that has been tremendous it helps us to have to have less application logic doing that for us you know we used to have a whole nother job that would run when data gets inserted here, go and run this job and then hope that we didn't lose anything or if something timed out or whatever. We had some some mismatches and now those have all but disappeared. What features were you surprised to discover in MongoDB Atlas? Some of the ones that are my favorites now. Uh, the, the Mongo charts was great. Of course, I would think, well, yeah, let's just put some data into Excel and build a chart and whatever, but you have to be an expert in too many things. And so having having the ability to just pipe that in is great. Uh, especially like the geo location stuff built into that, uh, being able to, you know, share with someone how many open houses are happening in a given state or how many, uh, new users do we have in a certain state? Those are, those are really great. Um, being able to compare multiple pieces and having different X axis is nice to be able to see how many listings were viewed, how many new users were visiting. You know, those kinds of pieces are, are really interesting. So that, that was surprising that that would be a part of the database platform. You know, it, it feels like a real add on the same with the, with the realm work. It's a, it's a natural extension, I suppose, but, but just the flexibility and, and the benefit that I get from it is, has been tremendous you know, it, it becomes like your favorite tool in your toolbox. You say, well, could we use, could we use Realm for this? Can we go ahead and just add another field in here? Um, you know, we had, a, we had an issue where we thought something was going to be ready in, in production, and it turned out that it wasn't going to be ready. And so the question was, do we need to do a whole rollback to support this, this rule that wasn't going to be ready from, it, from another team? Or could we just set up a rule in Realm that will take care of it for us in the meantime. And so we did, we set up a, we set up a rule that said, you know, every 10 minutes we're going to check and make sure that this rule doesn't need to be run. And we put in the business logic to make it happen. And so, so our data was, was performing the way that we expected it to during the meantime. And now, you know, we're back in, in line with where we had planned to be, but it kept us from having to do a full rollback, which, 
was great. It was, and it was a, you know, took two minutes to prepare it. So it was very pleased with that. That's awesome. So if you had to start from scratch, what advice would you give someone just starting out with Atlas today? I suppose that would depend on if they were an old Mongo expert or not. Uh, what I tell my team is you definitely need to go through the Mongo University class. You definitely need to do the Mongo 101 class. We we try to ask, we want all of our developers to go through that and beyond, uh, but we even want all of our QA team to go through that Mongo 101 class. In fact, our, our Scrum Master even went through it because she wanted to understand what we were talking about. So I feel like those would be really important. I think that if you're coming in with some Mongo experience, then probably familiarizing yourself with how things are laid out, some of the extra bonus uh, functionality that's there, like the the uh, memory usage system info stuff, that's really helpful. Those are some power user tools, I think, that, that you probably were lacking in your old Mongo instance. But then also be aware that sometimes there are there are easy ways to use th- to do things, and then there's going to be the standard way you've done things. And honestly, I I use several different ways of accessing Mongo. Atlas is one of them. I'll use the Compass app. One of my favorite features in Compass is is uh, the schema. That's really beneficial. But the uh, you know for for running scripts, sometimes I'll use DataGrip or Robo Mongo or or whatever. There's there's a lot of great tools out there, and Atlas is is one of them. So don't feel like you have to pick just one, I I think. Well, Jim, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us. And it's been uh, wonderful to learn more about the Keller Williams deployment, about the application stack, and about your experience with Atlas. Thank you for that. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the audience before we begin to wrap up? Yeah. I mean, if any of your listeners out there are wanting to learn more about Mongo and other cool technologies, you know, Keller Williams is a great place to do that. And we would love to to have people who are interested in being out on the forefront of technology uh, join our team. Someone wanted to learn more about those career opportunities at Keller Williams. What would you tell them? Where would you tell them to go? Reaching out to me on LinkedIn would be a great first step. Uh, I'd be happy to to talk to people and understand where they're at, what their career goals are, and and try to get them plugged in the best place we have at Keller Williams. Terrific. Well, thanks once again, Jesse. Thank you. Anything else before we go? No, uh, I think anyone would would uh, do great working there because uh, I love the stack. Node.js, React, like that's, that's in MongoDB. That's perfect. Right on. Okay. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com. Attention MongoDB enthusiasts, we've got some exciting news for you. On June 22nd, 2023, MongoDB is bringing its world-renowned .local conference to New York City. This is an event you won't want to miss. At MongoDB.local New York City, you'll have the opportunity to learn about the latest updates and tools to build and deploy mission-critical applications at scale. Whether you're a seasoned developer or just getting started with MongoDB, there's something for everyone at this action-packed event. Get ready to experience an announcement-filled keynote. Dive into technical sessions on application development, data modeling, security, and much more. Plus, you'll have the chance to network with like-minded professionals and MongoDB experts. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to boost your MongoDB knowledge and skills. Save the date, 
June 22, 2023 in the heart of the Big Apple, New York City. For more information and to secure your spot, head on over to mdb.link 2023 or check out the show notes of this episode. Be sure to use the code PODCAST50 for a 50% discount on your tickets. See you there.